My next guest is one of those actors who has struck gold more than once in playing iconic cult roles. From The Doctor in Doctor Who to I in the classic Withnail and I, and particularly for Irish audiences, one of the Phelan brothers in the 1995 miniseries The Hanging Gale. He is Paul McGann and he's in Ireland to play the role of the arms dealer Andrew Undershaft in George Bernard Shaw's Major Barbara at the Abbey Theatre. Paul, good morning and welcome to the programme. Good morning. Um, we know you best, I think, as a screen actor, but you've done a, a number of plays and now the Abbey Theatre and Major Barbara. I feel slightly <laughs> unprepared. When I, I, last week we had to do the, uh, you know, the programme notes and your little biog uh-huh. that's going to go on the programme. And um, even compared to the rest of the company, I've done so, so few plays. I mean, comparatively, I've done loads of telly, loads of films. Um, now, tell me about your character. Uh, he's an arms dealer, but he's... Uh, at f- uh, when you see him initially, I mean, you're not supposed to like him, really. Well, you can if you like. He's also a father, uh, chiefly, and that's, you know, it's a story of a family, uh, the mother and father have been separated for 20 years. So he's not seen his kids for 20 years. He's got a couple of daughters. Uh, he's got a son. Um, and though he provides for them, he's a rich man, very rich man, a big industrialist, arms dealer, as you say. And uh, so he's, he's, you know, he's keeping the family going with his money, but, he's, but she's stopped him from seeing the children. So the first time we see him in the play, he walks in. He's been invited. He walks in and there they are. And now they're grown up. And within hours... Or within minutes, even in the play, uh, one of the daughters, Barbara, who's now in the Salvation Army, she's a major in the Salvation Army, has almost has kind of challenged him. She says to him, "Come along, we, we got this Salvation meeting tomorrow. Come along." And uh, he says, "Well, okay, I'll, I'll I'll do a deal with you. I'll come along to your Salvation shelter tomorrow. You come to my place the day after, to this foundry where I work. So what you get is this kind of." I suppose it's like a conversion contest, the rest of the play, uh, between Barbara and her father. Shaw is, is very interesting on this because one of the characters uh, says about money from uh, munitions or arms from the father, who's got loads and loads of money, and there's another donor to the Salvation Army who's in whiskey, another, mm. you know, the, the, the serum of the, the devil. Yeah. And uh, one guy says, I don't care where the money comes from, um, if, as long as it helps the poor... That's fine. Yeah, that's right. And I think that was, uh, I'm not sure in, in the preface that he writes to the place, it, you know, the Salvation Army people that saw the original production at the Royal Court, they were perfectly all right with it. They said, oh, God, yeah, we, we, we take money off the devil. We, we don't mind taking his money, you know, provided that we could use it for good purposes. Um, you know, whereas certain critics of the day were, they, they, were, they were dubious about that and they were, they were almost aghast that Shaw, they, they thought Shaw was being mm. blasphemous. Um, even suggested, and it's that. a debate that continues to this day in in oh, the, the fact that some charities will not make uh, investments which are in what they regard as unethical companies. But many will, and so it is about this, it's, and that's what makes the play almost horribly pertinent, uh, even to you know to today, is that it's about this uneasy relationship between, you know, the money where the money's come from. Is it you know is is the money tainted? The idea of it, you know, Barbara in the play. Uh, realizes that you know the Salvation Army, along with other religious institutions, uh, and like herself, is being kept by this money that you know is either coming from the arms industry or Bodge's whiskey. So it is about that that strange relationship 
between um, ethical works and international capital. Mm. So there's an awful lot going on. And what Shaw likes to do, of course, is, is turn um, the expected narrative on its head. Mm. Uh, when Major Barbara of the Salvation Army goes to see the munitions factory, she expects to find a hellhole. And what does she find? She finds this model town that her dad is responsible for. Where the uh, workers are happy. Not only happy, but com- completely fulfilled, you know, every convenience taken care of, um, which is, like you say, is a big shock to her. And it, of course, it, and it goes completely contrary, goes against the idea of, you know, these late 19th century you know, big smokestack, black places. And funny enough, in Liverpool, we, from, from my parents' bedroom, we could see across the river to uh, Port Sunlight. I don't know if you've ever heard of Port Sunlight. But, yeah, Sunlight Soap. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and Lever had made just one of these places. Um, we could see the little... The model the, town. The little model town you know, for the workers. So I had a, you know, a nice image of it in my head when we were reading the play. You, your voice would be the voice of realism, pragmatism in the real world, rather than the idealism, initially at least, of Major Barbara herself. I think that's exactly right. And also, you know, it's a generational thing, perhaps, like you were saying before, you know, but perhaps some of the idealism is youthful. But also plot-wise, there's a problem that the old man is looking for another foundling to take over the firm. You know, it's time, you know, he's in his 50s, as I am, and, uh, you know, Shaw has him coming to the end, um, as you would have been in 1905, I suppose, you know, of your working life. And he's, that's his that's his. Problem. That's However, there is a kind of a Gilbert and Sullivan resolution to that. Which there we, is, which we don't need to. We should, uh, we should leave <laughs> yeah. for people who've not uh, either seen the play or know exactly. know anything about, it, so they can enjoy it all the more. Um, you being a, an actor, I mean, there was nothing in the family that suggested that all the boys should become actors. Certainly not when we were growing up. So, what um, was your dad and what was your mom? My dad was my late father was a factory worker. Uh, my mum, when we were growing up, my mum was, what they used to call a housewife, what did they call them now? They called... Homemaker, domestic she, engineer. Domestic engineer, yeah, she later became uh, a teacher. But were we, they we, theatrical around the house, <sighs> either of them? No, and theatre, we didn't go and see theatre. You either did or you didn't, you know, you, we, we went and saw pictures. We, as kids, we'd bunk into cinemas and see Jack Nicholson pictures or you'd see Easy Rider or Last Picture Show. You know, you'd see these beautiful films and... And uh, even as young kids, we'd, we'd, I remember thinking, wow, you know, could you do that? Could you actually do that for a living? Um, is, are these people getting paid to do this? You know? but, but it's the art of the possible. I mean, what made you guys think that you could jump uh, through the screen or across the footlights and become the people who did it rather than the people who watched it? You could sort of, you could think big if you felt like, and it was, it was expected that you, you might have to go to London to, to enact it. Uh, and that was f- just about forgivable. But you could do it. Uh, if you wanted to be in a band, there's a guitar. If you want to be in the theatre, go and find some actors or theatre people to hang around with. Uh, and we we kind of fell into it variously. I went and trained, but the brothers didn't train. You know, they Either we came from sport or Joe was a musician. Stephen was still at school when we first um, all appeared together. So, you know, it was kind of half by accident that it happened. We all ended up in a musical together. Uh, right from the off, and that's how it started. Um, w- one of the ways in which many of us would have come across you first was in the, the film With Nail and I, um, and the way you got the part is quite extraordinary. 
I walked in the door. That's how I got the part. And the director? Yes. Uh, Bruce Robinson, he, he, it was about him, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about him. And I think he was looking for somebody that kind of looked like him or at least had that caught-in-the-headlights innocence that he had, or he said he had at that yeah. time. And uh, I just... It, it was more that when you're an actor, at least when it, at least back then, you wanted to be in movies. We, like I say, we, we watched movies. I, I never went to the theatre. I think I might have gone once with my mum. Uh, so it was movies, you know. Even at Rada, I remember sitting around in this common room at Rada and everyone, even Ken Branner was there, people like that were there at the time. None of us had come up through, the, through going to see plays. It was all movies. And we all said, oh, yeah, sod this for a lark. You know, we'll, we'll do this training, but we all want to be in pictures. And that's what you wanted to do. And, the, and the, there was a little sort of time-honoured way of doing it. You you got out, you got your equity card. Of course, you had to get uh -huh. a union card in those days. Uh, then get onto the telly and work your way up and try and be good in something that was a hit. And then maybe somebody would give you a picture. And it took me five, six years until with Mel and I, and I walked in the door to meet Bruce Robinson. And I didn't even get me coat off. And he said, yeah, that, you, you've got the job, that's it. Yeah, and then you lost the job. <laughs> and then they sacked me, sacked me the day after because he didn't like the way I sounded. And, uh, too Liverpudlian for his... Too, uh, too scouts, yeah. He said, he, said, he, said, he said, you sound like Norman Wisdom. I said, well, <laughs> tell me what to do anyway. But uh, no, he gave me the job back, um, thankfully. Yeah, um, it's obviously a great calling card. Um, Richard E. Grant, uh, I think he said it made his career. It doesn't quite have the same sort of thing for you. Well, we both, I think we love it um, equally. And I think it's mainly because it was the first, the first picture that we did, whether it had been a hit or whether it had been even good or what. Um, I think we'd have loved it anyway because it was so exciting for us. We were, you know, we were completely, we were inexperienced. Um, I know for Richard, it changed his life never mind changed his career and it's still is maybe not a millstone around his neck but it's certainly something that never leaves him i think uh, he's admitted to that um i don't want to speak for him but he's he said as much i think uh, i think it, it's slightly different for him though he was so brilliant and outstanding in the picture it was such a, a big performance in every way um that he's often asked to repeat it whereas it's Unlikely that anyone's going to ask me to to do the yeah. same, and I've sort of you know slotted into different things down the years. And but him, it's it's slightly different. Everyone expects that same thing. From Everyone him. actually believes it is him. Perhaps they do. It, it isn't. <laughs> it's a sort no, of Hugh Grant thing, you know. Yeah, Everyone exactly. believes Hugh Grant is yeah. the, the character. Which has got a... It must be a pain in the bum, don't you think? No, uh, well, John Wayne managed all his life. <laughs> I think, yeah, he did. He did Being John Wayne. So, but so, so yeah. it is a good calling card, and all around, you know, ever since... It's been nearly 30 years now, but ever since, you know, even if I've not got a job, it's always got me into the room yeah. to meet somebody, yeah. you know, North America, Australia, wherever you are, you know, there's people that have seen it. I was the other night, um, Saturday night, uh, just nearby where I'm staying in Fitzwilliam Square, there were hundreds of people watched it in the open air. Fantastic. You know, they had to pay and get into the square and there it is on the screen you know, to this day. It's... And were you lurking in the shadows? I couldn't resist it. I, I, I went and <laughs> I, I peered through the railings to to have a look. I don't, I don't want to sound like somebody that... <laughs> Stalks my own movie, but I was just curious uh, to see it. And, you know, there were hundreds of people, uh, like I say, watching this picture. And so it's had its own life, you know, considering it, the picture did nothing for nearly 10 years. Um, and now it's, it's almost, a cult thing. It's and a cult thing. It's almost a definition of, of a sleeper, I think is what they used to call it. Mm -hmm. But no one caught you anyway, peering through the railings in Fitzwilliam Square. I don't think so. 
I don't think so. Because that could make a very interesting headline. <laughs> it would have been a bit sad, wouldn't it, you know, on Twitter. Uh, um, the the other iconic uh, role I was going to talk to you about briefly was the Doctor Who because it's one of those things um, I don't get to watch soaps very often and therefore I can I have a big cultural deficit when it comes to having conversations about such, yeah, both. such things you don't watch soaps either it's, it's just a matter of, of time I'm sure there's very good drama mm. going on in them but if you're not a Doctor Who acolyte and you end up playing Doctor Who I mean, you can commit all sorts of sins against the sensibilities of the fans. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> some of them are borderline forgivable. Others, they take a while for you to get back in credit. Also, I think it's because there's so many years of it. I meet people, you know, you meet kids, adherents, <clears throat> if you will, who know the whole 50 years. It's 50 years now. 50, 50 years, years of Doctor Who. You know, they could have a PhD in it. And they they could tell you everything, every episode, every 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 timeline, everybody's story, you know. And I make crass mistakes that I've done from the beginning because I because I was never sort of steeped in it. I played the role, so every now and again, you know, whether it's at some convention or whatever, I'll just say the wrong things. But they know that now, and I pretend I'm doing it on purpose. Uh, but, you were uh, a transient doc- Doctor Who, but one who snogged his assistant, and apparently that was completely out of order. I didn't know that. You see, I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't question it because this. Part, I, I was Doctor Who. We. I was Doctor Who for six weeks, whatever. Seventeen. But 18, you never escape it. You see, once you've ago. been no, it. No, no, once you're it, you're it. You're if in, you had known, the by the way, that uh, the snogging was off limits for Doctor Who in in the public imagination, would you have said to the director, "Hang on a second? No, no. I, th- I think I'd, I'd have still liked to do it. I think because we because we were shooting a pilot, it felt very almost prescriptive. You've got to wear this, you've got to do that. This has to be this. We've got to get every little iconic twist, every, you know, you got, there's the scarf, put it on, there's the, so and so, you've got to say it like this. Because it's a pilot. Um, so I think any little rebellion, um, or perceived rebellion, I'd have gone for. I wish I'd have known. I'd, 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 <laughs> done I'd, more. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd have done it longer. Um, uh, anyway, what uh, is next for you after Major Barbara? I don't know. I never know. I never know. That's good. I never know more than four, six weeks ahead. But clearly you don't worry about these things. If I ever did, I've forgotten what it's like because there are actors, there's performers, you know, they've got like, they're booked up all next year. I've never, ever been one of those. And and it, and the way you, we get employed tends to be 11th hour. You know, they'll say, yeah, we're starting on Tuesday. Can you can you come down? Sort of thing. Um, and do you not say, with the insecurity of an actor... Who turned this down <laughs> that they're ringing me so late? <laughs> Again, there was a time when yeah, you, you could drive yourself nuts thinking about that. But I remember uh, seeing, it was a Dustin Hoffman getting interviewed on the telly and uh, they asked him a similar question. And they said, you know, you get a script, the script arrives at your house, you know, what's the first thing you do? He says, check for De Niro's fingerprints on it. So it doesn't matter what level you're at. <laughs> it's you still know, the you, same. You, yeah, it's still the same. You know, you're, in, you're in a bunch, you're, in, you're on a list. Well, I'm really looking forward to the opening of Major Barbara, which happens on the 7th of August, and it runs all the way through to September 21st. And Paul McGann, who's starring in the show, thank you very much for joining us on the programme today. Thank you, my pleasure.